Shalom, Mishpocha. This is Sid Roth. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpocha, the family with the Jewish heart. Welcome to today's edition of Messianic Vision and another appointment for you to be mentored to fulfill your destiny with a very supernatural guest. And now, here's your host for this program. It's supernatural television producer, Jackie Duval. Thank you, Sid. Today on Messianic Vision, our guest is Rick Curry. Rick and his wife, Jennifer, have served in ministry for nearly 40 years, pastoring thriving churches and traveling full-time in evangelism ministries, including international ministry and church planting. Rick has seen his dream of an appeal to heaven be heralded around the world and is very confident that America's greatest awakening lies ahead of her and not behind her. Rick and Jennifer are currently traveling full-time and ministering the fire of awakening wherever they go. Welcome, Rick. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. It's great to have you with us. And um, so you were raised in a um, divided home spiritually. Your father passed away when you were 17. At 16, you accepted a call to ministry um, and uh, later on um, got filled with the spirit at a Nazarene university. Tell us a little bit about that experience and your background. Well, it was a remarkable experience as all who have uh, encountered the Holy Spirit and the, and the powerful baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jennifer and I were both raised in the Church of the Nazarene, and it was a wonderful foundational experience. And uh, as we came along, uh, we began to realize that there was a deeper hunger in our life for a deeper work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I was actually pastoring at the time. My wife was uh, uh, teaching uh, vocals, actually, in a music school. She was giving private and group uh, vocal lessons, and um, so I was like the chaplain of this music school uh, for a two-week period of time there every summer, and uh, so it was actually during that music school in a closet, actually on the very campus that we graduated from college at, that I received the powerful infilling of the Holy Spirit and uh, his baptism, which was remarkable and life-changing. Wow, that's amazing. And you, um, after that experience, began to have prophetic dreams and supernatural encounters. Tell us about some of those. Uh, yes, ma'am. It seems as though that our lives for many years now really have been guided by an unfolding series of dreams that the Lord has kind of schooled us, if you will. He's kind of taught us how that we should steward the dreams of our lives and the encounters into a fuller or deeper realization of what they meant. Here's what I mean by that. I think a lot of times we've taught people how to receive a word of knowledge or maybe a prophetic word for their life, or maybe they've had a dream or an encounter with the Lord. And in that moment, it's a remarkable transformative uh, time. But many times, I think what we failed to do is to learn how to steward that word or that dream into a place of realization. And, and that's where the Lord has really been moving most powerfully in our lives. Wow, that's, that's really good teaching. What are some of the um, prophetic dreams and, and encounters that you had right after you got filled with the Spirit? Well, it was just like uh, a few years after, really. Uh, it just seemed like there was a series of dreams that began to unfold. 
And some of them started out seeming to be uh, pretty insignificant, as oftentimes we have. I think we make the mistake of looking at our dreams as being somewhat insignificant. But really, it was um, coming into, we didn't know it was going to be September 11, 2001. But just prior to that date, I was on my way to Argentina with uh, a group of international evangelists and leaders to go down for a conference during the great Argentine revival. Now, just before I went on that trip, my wife handed me a journal, which I carry with me almost everywhere I go. And she began to say to me that I really needed to journal the week that I was in Argentina because she felt by the Holy Ghost that God was going to begin to give dreams, visions, and and powerful encounters with God that was literally going to shift our lives and our future. And so even in that, she said to me, before we ever left the States to go to Argentina, she said to me, uh, she said, now watch particularly Tuesday, because she said, I believe that something powerful is going to happen Tuesday, and you must record it. You must write it down. You must journal it, because it's going to be impacting for our future. And in fact, when I was in Argentina, it was that Tuesday morning that ended up being uh, September 11, uh, 2001. And because of that encounter there with the Holy Ghost and an amazing outpouring of His Spirit in Argentina, I have faithfully uh, stewarded dreams and visions and encounters by faithfully journey, journaling uh, all of these events of our lives. And it really becomes kind of like a storybook of the unfolding trail of fire of God as he's working in our lives uh, and in the nations. And we're really thrilled to be on that journey. Powerful. That's that's really powerful. And you had um, a dream, um, I know, it, I think it was several years ago, and um, it was called the Appeal to Heaven Dream. And I know some of you listening have seen the Appeal to Heaven flag, and it comes from this dream that God gave to Rick. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, just go into to a lot of detail on what, what happened in this dream and what you're seeing unfolding because of that. Thank you so much. The night I had the dream, it was just a very much of a, you know, a nondescript night. We go to bed, and during the night, I begin to have this dream that really began to unfold dramatically in my spirit in the dream. It was full of color. It was full of vibrancy. It was full of movement, and it was full of hope. And so really in the dream, it was uh, remarkable because in the beginning, I, I could see that I was approaching an old building. And some in your audience may uh, remember or even understand the imagery that I would give. Of, it kind of looked like an old tabernacle-type uh, structure. It was an old building of antiquity. Uh, it was built of wood. It was built of rough-hewn timber. And immediately, I was drawn to enter inside of that building. And when I began to go inside, I began to notice that the building was completely dark, and it had that musty smell as if it had been closed up for a long time. But my curiosity in the dream was really getting the best of me. So what I did was I literally put my hand on the wall to my left right after I came through the door, 
and I begin to feel along the wall to see if I could find a light switch, or maybe I could turn the power on and explore this magnificent old building of interest that I might be able to explore it even further. As I made my way down the wall, suddenly I was introduced in the dream to an elderly gentleman that seemed quite pleasant and fair, and he began to uh, converse with me. And he began to ask if he could help me. And I said, well, actually, I'd love to explore this old building. And so I'm just looking for a light switch. And he began to say to me in the dream that uh, the power had been cut off in this old building for a long time. But he began to say that the walls are made up of wooden panels. And I could literally press out those wooden panels in the wall, much like I remember doing uh, as a boy in these old tabernacles in Kentucky. And so I begin to push these paneled walls out. And with every one I pushed out, then suddenly uh, a little more light would begin to come into the room. But when I got to the third panel and I begin to push it out, a, a remarkable thing began to happen that quickened my spirit, uh, even in the dream. And that is when I begin to push out the third panel, then suddenly it was like a, a, a more radiant light begin to flood into the building. And suddenly I could begin to hear a sound on the horizon that it sounded muffled to me. It sounded almost like maybe your listeners could identify with the sound of rain muffled upon a tin roof. I could hear a sound. It was as if it were in the distance, but it was a sound of movement, and light began to flood in. And so I, I was intrigued by that. I looked around, and I was excited to open up more and more panels until I went around three walls of the entire structure and opened up panel after panel. And every time I did, in this dream that has been called an appeal to heaven dream, um, and it was remarkable because it was a dream of many sights, uh, many sounds, and many symbols. The symbols would include the incredible Washington's Cruisers flag or the appeal to heaven flag. But as I begin to make my way around the building, opening up the panels, suddenly I begin to realize that the building was much, much larger than I had anticipated. Uh, if I were guesstimating, I would say the building would probably see 20 or maybe even 25,000 people. And I make my way all the way around the building until I end up near the front of the building where there was this massive uh, platform. It was completely completely empty, and up along the back of the platform, there had been erected this uh, a tremendous bridge-like structure that elevated the back of the platform uh, significantly up into the air. And when I got to that part in the dream, the elderly gentleman came back and spoke with me again, and he began to ask me if I wanted to see what was going to happen next. And I said, absolutely, I want to see. And so he had set a single uh, straight back wooden chair up on the platform, kind of on the stage right side. 
and he gestured towards that chair. And so I begin to sit and watch. Now, without going into too much detail for your listeners, I suppose, and you're welcome to ask any more details that you would like. But when I sat in that chair, I begin to notice to my right, outside of the old structure, I begin to see movement out there. Now, one of the things I want your listeners to understand is that as the dream went on, the sound that I heard at panel number three began to increase volumously uh, throughout the entire dream until I began to realize that the, the, the sound was not just as muffled rain up on a roof, but it sounded like the hooves of horses or the boots of marching armies. And when I was sitting on the platform, I looked to my right, and I see in a harbor nearby, there were old ships of antiquity that were pulling up into the harbor. And suddenly there were men and women disembarking off of the ships, and they were walking, and they were coming their way towards this old tabernacle. And I watched them. I don't really know how is the best way to describe their appearance, but I would say maybe for our listeners that they were dressed more like you might think, uh, the pictures of, of pilgrims or Puritans. They were dressed in dark clothes. They were dressed very conservatively. They were dressed neatly, and they were making their way towards this tabernacle. Now, what was remarkable to me, when they came inside the tabernacle, they began to file in row upon row upon row upon row until they filled the entire section. And as they were coming in, I felt like they were looking around at the building as much as I was. And though I could see them, I felt as if that none of them could see me sitting, observing their entrance. Another thing that was interesting is that a number of these people that came in in this first group, a number of them began to go to the back of the auditorium. There was this, it was like a, a choir loft, if you will, at the back of the tabernacle. And some of them go back and they get in the choir. Now, here's something else I want you to know. There were in the dream, in the unfolding of the dream, there were seven different generations that I saw come in. And each one of the generations did precisely as I described in this first generation. It is a generation that I call a generation of pilgrims, Puritans, and pietists. And as they came in, uh, they began to rejoice. And then they all just very, very... Uh, uh, sim, uh, systematically took their place, and uh, and then as soon as they all got seated, then I saw a second generation coming in, and this generation they were riding horses and buggies and and all kinds of surreys and wagons, and they were coming in, and it really began to look like um, a pioneering type church that you might think from the history. Of, of our own uh, nation. And so when the first generational group was coming in, I asked the elderly man in the dream, who are these people? And he said, well, these are the pilgrims, the Puritans, and the pietists. So when the second group came in, I said, well, who are these people? And he said, well, these are the pioneers. 
These are the ones who blaze the trail through the wilderness. These are the ones who begin to build schools and homes of old structures and, and all of that. So it was a remarkable sight. Now, I want to say this also. As the second group came in, as the second generation came in, the first generation began to look in amazement, and they began to be absolutely and utterly shocked that this next generation was coming in behind them. If you can imagine, what the feeling I had in the dream was that they were remarkably stunned at the scope and the beauty and the progression of the generation who came after them. Now, remind uh, your listeners of this. Each of the generations, as they were entering, they were carrying their own sound. It was a sound of worship. Some of it sounded like the sound of worship that might be more similar to a Gregorian chant. Uh, but there was worship, and the sound of every successive generation began to build voluminously as each one of the generations entered. And then when the when the generation of the pioneers came in, then um, both of those generations begin to rejoice, they begin to jump, they begin to twirl, they begin to dance, they begin to celebrate because not only had the first generation rejoicing because the second had come in, but the second generation was rejoicing to see the generations who had gone before them. Here's one other very key and important fact of our dream, and that is the sound of each successive generation was not a sound that came across as being combative or controversial or conflicting with each one. As a matter of fact, the most remarkable thing of the dream for me, and somebody, there may be some of your listeners who hear this, and they think, well, how could the flag on the morning that I had the dream, how could the flag not be the most important thing for me in the dream on the morning I had it? And it was simply because at the time I had the dream, I didn't believe the flag was real. But what I did know was real is that when the generations begin to come together, it's going to begin to release a sound of kingdom in the earth that's going to be an unparalleled, unmistakable sound of awakening and transforming revival. So without going through, I guess, just each and every generation, there was a repeated, this was repeated seven times as generations came in to that old structure. And as they came in, they just would end up filling up the rows, row after row. The third generation, uh, the second one was the pioneers, the third generation were the planters. And then we move into the prophetic generation. And then we begin to move into kind of a protagonistic or a generation of indifference until finally we came into a modern generation wherein we begin to see this absolutely uh, crescendo release of sound in the earth that the only way I knew how to describe it, it sounded to me as if it were the synergy of the ages. It was generations coming together 
for a cause in the earth that was a supernatural move of God uh, governed by heaven in the hearts and lives of ordinary men. The sound that I heard throughout the dream was each successive generation was carrying their unique sound of worship. But again, I want to state, rather than those sounds conflicting, they converged, they they came together in one collaborative crescendo release of God moving uh, in the earth. Now, to move past that, once the, the building was completely full, well, let me say this also, out of every generation, there were people that came out of that uh, out of the generation and moved up into the choir loft. That was really interesting to me, but th- it was as if God was orchestrating um, by the move of God in the earth. He was bringing together a conjoining uh, of heaven and earth, but he was also conjoining the sound of worship from many generations. And in that, I felt like that God was releasing the sound of the synergy of the ages as God begins to move mightily in the hearts and lives of ordinary men and women. Now, when the tabernacle was full, the gentleman came back to me as I seated in the chair, utterly stunned in my dream. And suddenly he said, would you like to see this? And, 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 and he gestured with his hand. And I looked, and up on the platform, off to the side of the platform, a double door opened up, and he looked back at me, and he said, I must ask you a question. And I said, okay. And he said, are you ready to take your place? Are you ready to take your place? Now, one of the things that I've learned that I think is going to be a key for your listener is I begin to realize that this was not a personal dream, and this was not a personal or a private question just for me. But I believe that the Holy Ghost, by the witnessing of of his spirit and by the releasing of angel armies and by the assigning of nations and the uprising of a remnant church in our day, I believe that God the Holy Spirit is asking all of us, are you ready to take your place in this great move of God that's being birthed in the earth. So I looked, and when I looked over to those double doors, I suddenly began to realize that ministers were coming in. They were filing in onto the platform. And as each of the generations of ministers filed onto the platform, then the entire uh, audience of the of the people in the crowd, they begin to applaud and shout and twirl and dance and rejoice as the ministers were coming in. As the ministers came in, they went up the bridge that I described at the back of the platform. They would go to the top, and one of those ministers would step out to the edge of that bridge and begin to release a prophetic dream or a prophetic utterance over the generation. And it was utterly amazing. And I begin to see ministers from history that I've never really seen pictures of, but it was as if I knew who they were. 
And it, it was a remarkable thing. So ministers begin to enter the building representing each of those successive generations. The response of the crowd was the same every single time. And then came the uh, modern ministers, and they begin to file in many of them. I knew, I saw, I looked at them, and uh, I knew who they were. It's ministers living today. It's ministers that have passed in my lifetime. But I knew who they were, and I knew they represented the modern church. And as they came in, I went in, I formed in that line. The man gestured for me to take my place. So I got in that line of ministers, and I actually, because Dutch uh, Sheets was my friend, I got in line just kind of behind Dutch, and we started going up the bridge. When we got to the top of the bridge, then it was Dutch who stepped out at the leading edge of this bridge, and he began to release a powerful prophetic utterance over the generations. And when he got done, I saw in my dream him waving this flag in a figure eight. I had never seen the dream before. I mean, I'd never seen the flag before. As a matter of fact, I uh, have asked people every time I've ministered about this, I, even this weekend, I ask them, did anyone ever see this flag in school? Did anyone ever learn of this flag? I had not. And so uh, the flag really wasn't the big thing for me, though I did sketch out the image of it in my journal because I knew it was intriguing. And so Dutch gave the prophetic uh, decree. We all came down and joined the generations of ministers on the platform. And then suddenly the elderly man who had been leading me through the dream steps to this magnificent podium and he begins to decree and declare a releasing of mantles for the world's greatest awakening. And he really, it was as if we were in the middle of this moment of, it was not really a coronation, but it was a, a, a commitment. It was a, it was a challenge. It was a commissioning, if you will, for the reaping of the greatest harvest in all of humankind. Now, before daylight the next morning, I was sitting in the darkness of my home, writing my dream out word for word, being as descriptive of it as I could in my journal that I had learned from, from 2001 in Argentina. I was writing it out as, as verbatim, as descriptive as I possibly could. And, uh, and, and so then it came to the flag, and I sketched out what it looked like. It had a white background. It had a green, evergreen tree in the center, and it had words on it that I couldn't read in my dream. So my wife, knowing that I had awakened, comes to our living room, and she begins to say to me, you had a dream, didn't you? And I said, I did. And so I begin to tell her the, the dream, uh, as I have your audience, uh, but even more descriptively. And when it came to the flag, she said, Ricky, I just believe by the Holy Ghost that the flag is real. I said, well, the flag cannot be real. I mean, I've never seen a flag like this. So she said, well, I believe you need to Google it. And so we Googled it and discovered that, in fact, 
It was the Washington's Cruisers flag created in 1775, and the words that are on it, appeal to heaven, were actually words scribed by John Locke from 1690 in the Second Treatise of Government. And so I begin to realize that the flag was not just brilliant, but it was historic. And suddenly I begin to realize that the dream was far more significant maybe than I had imagined at the outset. And again, for your audience, the morning I had it, the most significant thing for me was the sound. Now, the symbol, which is the flag, has been sent all over the world. And people have sent me pictures, literally from all over the world, of them waving an appeal to heaven flag. I believe today, by the orchestration of heaven, by the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, that God is releasing angel encounters, dreams, and visions. He's performing magnificent signs and wonders in the earth to prepare the earth for the greatest awakening that we have ever known. So maybe in brevity, that's kind of the story of the dream. Wow, that's amazing. That's powerful. There's a real anointing on that dream. And you you wrote a book because of that dream, and it's called The Sound of Awakening, A Prophetic Call for Everyday People to Arise and Release Revival. Um, briefly, just explain how that book is going to help people and why you wrote it. Well, I, I wrote the book really because I wanted it to reflect the prophetic uh, side of the dream that I felt like had not been addressed in other writings and books. And so I wanted to make sure that I could document not just the significance of the sound, but here's the point. Here's the point for your leaders. God has always chosen to use ordinary men and women to accomplish his purposes in the earth. And I think sometimes, and so the sound of awakening is the sound of the ordinary one being quickened by the Holy Ghost, willing to take their place, encountering the Lord, encounters that bring about definition and release to move into our best and brightest future. So the sound is not just worship, but it's the sound that emanates from the lives of the ordinary ones. So the takeaway from the book for the people is the challenge and the call of the Holy Ghost to understand that we have not been discredited. They have not been set aside. It's not too late to respond and do magnificent things for God. I believe with all of my heart that the move of God that we're in and the full awakening that is unfolding will be a grassroots move of the Holy Ghost igniting the hearts and lives of ordinary men and women that they might uniquely release their sound in the earth. And so that's what we want to challenge. That's what we want to communicate, that it's not a, a super apostle, if I might say that, or it's not a super evangelist or a super prophet that we need. What we need is for the ordinary ones to rise up in hope, to take their place and release what God has deposited in them. 
That's so good. Now, you you teach that there are several things to look out for in this glory move that is coming, but it's not just coming. It's already here, and you're walking in it now. So tell us about a, a few of those things that you're already seeing in your meetings. So I'm on the road actually right now, and we saw miracles just yesterday and the night before that are absolutely remarkable. But some of the things I think we need to watch for is, number one, we need to watch for ordinary men and women to begin to arise and release the fire of God and the quickening of the Holy Ghost in revival. I I cannot tell you how much I believe we're going to see that. People that never imagined they may have a significant role to play. Secondly, watch for unexpected men and women to awaken and rise into places of ministry. I believe that the Lord is birthing uh, a new vibrant prayer ministry uh, in the earth. I believe we're going to see the birthing of a new missions movement. I believe we're going to see a redefining of the paradigm of the ecclesia and the work of God in the earth. New ministries are going to be flourishing and thriving, but they're going to be unique, and they're going to be kind of reflective of a paradigm for the future, maybe not always for the past. Watch for gatherings in the most unlikely places and in open fields becoming packed to capacity with a generation completely desperate for an encounter with God. We had a lady just this weekend that that my wife and a team of people prayed over in our meeting uh, just on Saturday night under a tent over near East St. Louis, and uh, she had a kidney a disease, and the Holy Ghost touched her and healed her, and she was able on Sunday morning— she was able to urinate for the first time in five years. Now, a lady the night before uh, had been deaf all of her life, and she was miraculously healed and began to hear for the first time uh, in her life. And it was remarkable and stunning. I believe also we need to watch for incredible dreams and visions to come forth. More importantly for me, And I'd love for your listeners to grab a hold of this. More importantly than having a dream or a vision or an encounter is to learn to steward that dream, vision, or encounter into a place of bold expression and powerful breakthrough. For me, that right there cannot be understated. And then number five is watch for the worship of the victorious to become louder and louder than the violence of the wounded. I believe in this awakening, we're going to hear the voice of the triumphant rise higher than the voice of the traumatized. Right now, nations feel under the weight of a traumatic expression in the earth. But I believe that the song of triumph in the lives of the ordinary ones uh, is arising. So that's a few things that we are seeing and that we're anticipating even coming forth even more. That's so good. And you were talking about um, how people are feeling traumatized and wounded. And and you had a, a vision about unlocking your future and Lord, Lord is wanting to deal with some people there, the brokenhearted or the dealing with unforgiveness or um, bitterness or offense. 
And the Lord wants us to be healed of these things so that we can be used for this awakening that's that's coming and that's here. So uh, briefly, just talk about that vision that you had. In that vision, uh, I was actually in a church uh, in Kentucky. It was actually a prayer center. And I was there early, and I was sitting at the back of the auditorium. And suddenly the Holy Ghost invited me to come to the altar, to lay on my face and come to a posture of examination before the Lord. And as I did, I saw myself in this vision, uh, standing in a group of people. And and, and, and I saw that there was a, a, an individual who was holding a heart uh, in his hand. He was holding the heart up in the air as it was both exposed for everybody to see, and it was elevated. And I was in this vision, I was looking at this heart, and as I was looking at it, and he was holding it up high, in his right hand, he was holding like a long knife with the tip of the blade resting against the heart, but it was doing no damage to the heart. And the people in that circle were all aware of the most unusual posturing of that heart, but all were silent. Listen, we're living in a time, I, I know your listeners can relate to this. We are living in a time when mental health issues are at a crisis level. We see uh, rampant depression and suicide and all kinds of bodily harm. Uh, and, and we celebrate the dynamic work of mental wellness and wholeness and people being able to come out of the dark and begin to uh, recognize that there are answers and that there is a hope for this. In that vision, no one seemed alarmed or concerned about the heart at all, nor were they concerned at the knife pointed and positioned at a place where it could do utter destruction to the heart. They, sim they seemed to just simply uh, be praying and I begin to inquire of God, whose heart is this? Why is there no concern for that heart? I knew immediately that God was ministering to me, that that heart was mine. And though this vision God was revealing to me, that not only was he doing a deep work in me, but he was about to move mightily in the lives of the brokenhearted ones. And so I begin to teach about the ministry of the Holy Ghost to the broken-hearted ones in this awakening. God immediately began to minister to me that he was about to awaken and restore the broken-hearted ones. He ministered to me that, that, that a key to unlocking, transforming revival in the church and awakening in the nation is the anointing to heal the broken-hearted which again brings me back to the ordinary ones. And look, let me just be really honest with your listeners. The ministry and church even is a place where our hearts can be broken and we can end up carrying a wounded heart in a sling. And we wonder how in the world do we ever move beyond this? I believe that God is releasing and anointing to heal the broken-hearted ones. Sometimes that's through personal ministry. Sometimes it's through encounters. Sometimes it's through counseling and support and encouragement. 
But most of all, this awakening will be an awakening of the bold, unfettered love of God in the hearts and lives of people. The heart was mine, and he had come to heal my broken heart, and he had given me the courage to take my life and my future back. And in that dream, God not only brought me to a tremendously emotional and impacting encounter personally, but through that, in the stewarding of the personal encounter, in the stewarding of the personal dream or the vision or the angelic visitation or whatever God is doing, when we learn to steward what God is saying and doing in us, we begin quickened to the realization that he's doing that in the lives of a multitude. And so that's kind of what that vision was about, and God has used it over and over again. Wow, that's so powerful, and we're we're running out of time, but can you just um, pray over the listeners just anything that, that the Lord's showing you? Absolutely. Father, we pray right now that every person that hears this would be quickened right now by the Holy Ghost. I pray, God, right now for visions and dreams. I pray for supernatural encounters. I pray for angelic visitations. I pray today that you would quicken the hearts of our leaders, quicken the minds of our leaders, quicken the spirits of these listeners that we might everyone understand. It's not too late to take your place and become involved in this magnificent move of God, wherein we will see nations tremble, nations shake under the weightiness of your glory. But we will begin to see cities set ablaze. We will begin to see churches planted and reignited with renewed passion. But we will begin to see individual, ordinary men and women take their place in this amazing move of God. So, Father, let that be so right now, and let it begin in the lives of our listeners now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And you've been listening to Messianic Vision with our guest, Rick Curry. And now here's Sid to tell you how you can get the special resource. Don't you dare throw in that towel. Rick Curry has a message of hope for you, America, and the world. In his brand new book, The Sound of Awakening, a prophetic call for everyday people to rise and release revival, you will learn how to be used by God in this last and greatest awakening that's right upon us now. Also, in Rick's brand new and exclusive three-part audio teaching series, Stewarding Your God Encounters, you will learn how to be free of anything holding you back from being used by God and how to speed up and make sure your dreams, visions, and encounters become reality. Call now for Rick's brand new book, The Sound of Awakening, a prophetic call for everyday people to rise and release revival, and his brand new and exclusive three-part audio teaching series, Stewarding Your God Encounters. You'll also get a journal for writing down your encounters with God. Order today 
for an investment of only 39 U.S. dollars. To order, call 1-800-447-2697. Once again, that's 1-800-447-2697. Or go to our website at sidroth.org. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H dot O-R-G. Just ask for offer number 9796. Once again, that's offer number 9796.